Let's bow for prayer, please. Our Father and our God, we are grateful once again to separate ourselves from all of the clamor and the distractions of the world to spend time in your presence simply to hear from you, that you may order our steps once again, that you may fill us up, that we may have fuel to move on for the next week or so until we come into your presence once again. We thank you, Lord, for your word and the power of your word, and we pray, O oh Lord, that our hearts would embrace it this evening. I come as a humble, lowly vessel just willing to be used by you as a channel, and I seek, Father, that you would indeed hide me behind the cross, that you might be glorified and exalted in all things that are said and done this evening. And so, Lord, I commit your word to you when I ask, O oh Father, that you would cause our hearts this evening to be open and receptive to whatever you would have to say to us, not just in a collective manner, but also in a personal manner regardless of how difficult it may be to accept and embrace. We pray, O oh Lord, that we may do just that. And so we commit this time to you, we commit your word to you, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. 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 Um, if you turn in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 16, we we'll reading from verse 13 to 19. Matthew 16, 13 to 19. Now reading from the New Living Translation. You can follow along in your Bibles, please. Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Show the Lord will add a blessing to the reading of his precious word to our hearts this evening. A statement about institutions in the 20th century in which we live being caught in the crossfire between uncritical lovers on the one hand and unloving critics on the other is certainly and absolutely true of the church today in our time. On one hand we see some see nothing right with the church. On the other hand there are some who are blind to the many problems of the church. Needless to say, in recent times, the unloving critics have dominated the scene. Everywhere we turn, we can hear people criticizing and condemning the church for its failures and faults, shortcomings. 
Needless to say, we have many today who are asking that age-old question, what's wrong with the church? It's become such a common question that it is, it is debated on many college campuses today. It is analyzed by theologians. It is, has a lot of religious ministers perplexed. And it remains a, a great big question mark for the average person on the street today. Everyone has something negative to say about the church. As a result, a negative spirit prevails. However, without ignoring or minimizing the obvious problems of the church local, we need to strike a more positive note about the church universal. Pastor Wenley addressed a lot of issues this morning about the church local. Well, our focus tonight is to look at the church universal and to see what is more right than wrong with the church in general. We can't get away from the issues of the church local because we are the church local. More and more today, the world needs to know what's more right than what's wrong with the church in general. So the question then is, what is more right than wrong with the church? Well, first of all, it's foundation. It's foundation. It's what is more right than wrong with the church today. Jesus said to Simon Peter in our text, verse 18, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Nevertheless, the powers of hell are trying. And they're trying hard. Since it didn't exist in the Old Testament, this is the first mention of the church in the Bible. When Jesus spoke these words, the church was still future. And it wouldn't be established until the day of Pentecost. But what exactly is the church? Well, first of all, we need to be mindful of what the church is not. Because there's some confusion about that even today. Contrary to popular belief, the church is not a place or a structure where you go. We often hear the expression, I'm going to church. Or are you going to church? Or where do you go to church? Well, we need to be mindful, even though we use that expression over and over ourselves, we need to be mindful that the church is not a place you go to. It is not a structure that you reside in or spend time in. The church is not a social club or an institution or an organization where you where you joined for the purpose of getting privileges and benefits, even though that's the way some people use it today. I heard a lady who was uh, uh, having problems with the church that she was attending, and, a, and a, one of her children told her, well, Dad, why don't you just leave and go to another church? She said, but I will not have anywhere to bury me when I die. So many people are using the church as some kind of an organization or a social club to, to, to have benefits when they die or even while they're living. But then what is the church? The church is you and I. The church is a living, breathing organism made up of all true, real, genuine Jew and Gentile believers in Christ. The church is a, is a distinctive people known as the body and bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
with a unique and heavenly calling and destiny. That is the church. Now, when we look at this passage, we know how controversial these, this verse has, has been compared to almost any other verse that we find in the Gospels. The question is, who or what is the rock? Part of the difficulty arises from the fact that while the two Greek words used for Peter and for rock are similar, the meanings are different. And that's where the difficulty arises. The first word, Petros, in the, in the, in the phrase, now I say unto you that you are Peter, means a stone or a loose piece of rock. That's what that first Greek word means in that particular part of the context. The second word, Petra, the first one is Petros, the second Greek word is Petra, which part of the verse is upon this rock that Jesus uses, means a mass rock or a big rock, like we would say in the local colloquialism. So what Jesus has actually said was, you are Peter, a stone, and upon this rock, a mass rock, I will build my church. Jesus did not say he would build his church on a stone. He didn't say he would build his church on Peter, even though that's what the Roman Catholicism uh, believe, and that's, what, that's the whole doctrine, that the church is built on Peter, the rock. Well, Jesus says he didn't build his church on a rock. Peter was a stone, but he would build his church on a rock. So if Peter is not the rock, then what is? Well, if we stick to the context, it provides the obvious answer. The rock is actually Peter's confession. Remember, Jesus said to Peter, you know, no human being told you this. My heavenly father revealed this to you. And so the rock is actually Peter's confession that Christ is the son of the living God. The truth on which the church is established. Notice what Paul, the apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. He says, together we are his house. Who are the we here he's talking about? He's talking about you and I. We are, he's talking about believers. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Now we all know what a cornerstone is, right? The verse teaches us that the church is built on none other than Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. But notice the statement. The statement teaches that we believers are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. It doesn't mean that the apostles and prophets was the foundation, but that the foundational teachings about the Lord Jesus Christ was actually the foundation laid by the apostles and prophets. And again, we have people who are teaching that the, the, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, but it was on this teaching, the foundational teachings of the apostles and prophets. And so Jesus made it very clear, Jesus made it crystal clear that it was not Peter's church. And by the same token, it ought to be clear that it's not the deacon's church. It's not the eldest church. It's not even the members' church. Some years ago, we had a big uproar in one of the local churches where the members said that this is our church and they called the police and there was a big uproar with people fighting because the people believed that it was their church and they could appoint who they wanted. They could do whatever they feel like. Well, Jesus made it very clear that it's not anybody's church. He made it very clear that it is not 
the Anglican Church, or the Baptist Church, Brethren Church, or the Catholic Church, or the Methodist Church. He said, what did he say? I will build my church. My church. But what does this mean? It means then that the glory of the church is not in some denominational title. Boy, you know, some people have, they, they put a lot of credence and a lot of weight and a lot of stuff in their, their titles. You know, they, they sound those titles of those denominations as if they're doctrine. Well, the glory of the church is not in some denominational title. The glory of the church is not determined by the pastor in the pulpit or the people of influence in the pews or the people of influence who are on the membership roll. That doesn't, that's not the glory of the church. The glory of the church is not that it's a, a good church. You know, some people talk about their church is a good church. Well, the glory of the church is not that it's a good church or even that it's good enough. The glory of the church is that it is exclusively Christ church. Because he is the foundation upon which it was built. And so then to, to answer the question, what is more right than wrong with the church? His foundation. But secondly, what's more right than wrong with the church is its function. Not only its foundation, but its function. Jesus uh, gave the church the keys to the kingdom. Now, what happens when we give people keys? What does that indicate? Hmm? Control, authority, access. Huh? You trust them, right? Verse 19, I will give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. And so the keys signify authority. When you give someone your keys, you're giving them the authority to do whatever with those keys, whatever those keys are for. If it's for your vehicle, you give them your keys to drive your vehicle. If it's for your house, you give them the keys to go into the house. Therefore, in giving the keys to the kingdom of heaven, Jesus did two things. First, he gave the church his authority. His authority. And secondly, he left the church with the responsibility to carry out, not to do their own thing, but to carry out his work. Remember, his keys, his kingdom, his work. And that is fulfilling the purpose of the church. And so the pulsating message throughout the New Testament is unmistakable. You can't mistake it for any other thing other than that the incredible challenge that comes to the church in every generation is that the church is the mind through which Christ thinks. The church is the heart through which Christ loves. The church is the voice through which Christ speaks. The church is the hands through which Christ helps. The church is the body of believers through whom Christ works. That's the church. And this means that the church in every single generation has some unique responsibilities to carry out, some unique responsibilities to fulfill in terms of the purpose for the church that Jesus Christ himself established. And that is to preach the gospel, not philosophy, or like they do in, the, in most of the dark churches in the United States, civil rights, but to preach the gospel, to win the lost. Is there anybody else who could win the lost other than the church, believers? To win the lost. To train or make disciples. 
to heal the brokenhearted, to lift up the fallen. Such functions have been given to no one else but the church. So to answer the question, what's more right than wrong with the church? Its function is what is right with the church. But then what also is more right with the church than wrong is its fruit. First of all, its foundation, its function, and thirdly, its fruit. Jesus gave the keys to the church so that it might set people free from the bondage of sin and steer them or usher them into the kingdom of God. Verse 19, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Think about all the fruit that the church has produced, the early church produced as it carried its function. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, we read, Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. In one day. That's the fruit of the church. Acts chapter 4 and verse 4. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not including women and children. Acts chapter 21, verse 20. After hearing this, they praised God. And then they said, you know, dear brother, how many thousands of Jews have also believed? And they all follow the law of Moses very Seriously. That's the fruit of the early church. Think about the fruit which the church produced throughout Christian history. The church in the 12th century produced a fellow by the name of Francis Assisi. Heard of him? The church in the 15th century produced a guy by the name of Martin Luther. Remember him? The church in the 18th century produced another fellow by the name of John Wesley. Of course, the church in the 20th century produced a fellow by the name of Billy Graham. And multitudes of others that we, we can probably name tonight. But that's the church. But regardless of the obvious weaknesses and evident failures of the church local, the church universal continues to produce the fruit of redeemed men and women who have been liberated from their sins and ushered into the kingdom of God. So what's more right than wrong to the church? It's fruit. But then fourthly, what's more right than wrong with the church is its fellowship. During the first century, when the fruit of redemption was produced, those new Christians, those new believers, gathered together in the most profound kind of fellowship the world had ever seen. The world had never seen anything like that. It was a phenomenon in that particular time. Acts chapter 2, verse 44 to 47. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. 
And get this. And each day the Lord added to the to their fellowship those who were being saved. In every generation since, the church has provided that same kind of fellowship for those who are in Christ. But then the question is, why is fellowship so essential? Why is it so important? Because every human being has a relationship hunger that can only be met through shared relationship with others. All of us have that. There's no fellowship so binding and lasting as the links of harmony linked between human beings on the basis of a common approach to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. None. During World War II, some American soldiers took the body of one of their buddies who had died in battle to a local cemetery for burial. But the local priest stopped them by saying, you can't bury your friend here if he's not Catholic. Discouraged but not defeated, the boys buried their fellow soldier on the outside of the cemetery fence. Next morning when they came to pay their respects, they couldn't find the grave. So they went looking for the priest. And they asked him what happened to the burial site of their friend. The priest said, you know, the first part of the night I couldn't sleep because I was so bothered by what I told you. The second part of the night I spent moving the fence. You see, the fellowship of the church provides oneness in Jesus Christ that overcomes every individual barrier that you could think of. All individual differences are removed by the fellowship that the church provides through the oneness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's more right than wrong with the church is its fellowship. And then finally, What's more right than wrong with the church is its future. There's no doubt whatsoever that we are witnessing the last days of the church, especially when we hear of all the persecution that is going on in the world today, more so than at any other particular time in church history. More Christians are dying for their faith. And so definitely we are witnessing the last days of the church. But listen to the resounding declaration of the master again. Upon this rock I will build my church. And all the powers of hell, not some, but all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Doesn't mean they're not going to try. They realize that time is running out. And so the heat has turned up. We're in that stage or that phase. Remember when Pharaoh took the the, the uh, three Hebrew boys, and he said, turn up the furnace seven times hotter. Well, for the Christian, persecution has turned up seven times hotter, which means that it can get no hotter, which means that we are definitely in the last days of the church. As the church in revolutionary posture goes out in action for the kingdom of God, there's nothing in the world that can ultimately destroy it. Absolutely nothing based on the declaration of our master that he makes here. In verse 18, as the church today, as Christians today, 
There's no need for you and I to apologize for the church. Because it has Jesus Christ as its foundation. It has the evangelism of, of the world as its function. It has changed lives as its fruit. It has fellowship that is second to none globally, worldwide. It has a future that the combined forces of evil can't touch. And so while we must, there's no doubt about it, we must face the prevailing negative spirit perpetuated by the unloving critics of the day and of the church today. What we need to be as those who comprise the church is agents of change. We need to continue to be the uncritical lovers, constantly striking a positive note because its foundation, its function, its fruit, its fellowship, and its future clearly shows that there's much, much more of what is right than what is wrong with the church today. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and God, we thank you for the model of the church that you've given us today that cannot go wrong. And while we uh, oftentimes as a church local are feeble in our posture, in our, in our demeanor, in our activities, the church universal stands firm and strong because you said that you will build your church and nothing will conquer it. And so we pray, O oh Lord, today that as we leave here, we may be mindful that we indeed, as those who comprise this living organism called the church, are agents of change. And that won't change until you return to take us to be with yourself. And as agents of change, may we continue to be the uncritical lovers of the church and proclaim it as our Lord challenges us to do and gives us the mandate to do. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.